the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Hello, it's the Nick T Podcast, as Jason Skaggs just said. My name is Nick DeGilio. I am your host. Welcome to episode number 98. Wow, 98. We are just two away from 100, and we're going to have a fun celebration for uh, episode 100. That'll be a week from today. It will drop a week from today. Uh, Episode 100, we're going to go back and listen to a bunch of really great clips from the previous 99 episodes, some from the previous 99 episodes, uh, you know, with some of the celebrities we've had and great guests and really memorable moments and funny stuff. Uh, We've got some lovely uh, messages that uh, people have been leaving on our voicemail uh, talking about and congratulating us on our 100th uh, episode. And it'll just be me and Esmeralda. So it'll be me and Esmeralda chatting, uh, talking about the podcast, the 100 episodes that we've done um, and, um, and playing back some really great interviews and great, uh, you know, appearances and memories and all kinds of cool stuff over the 100 episodes that we've done. And that's all coming up a week from today. That'll be episode 100. Hey, if you want to uh, say, hey, congratulations on 100 episodes, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, our voicemail system is always up and running 24-7. We want to hear from you anytime, anyplace, anywhere. 773-417-6948 for any voicemail message if you want to say, hey, that's cool. 100 episodes. That's cool, too. 773-417-6948. Uh, that's also a number that uh, you can uh, leave uh, your voicemail for me to give you a magic megaphone message, which we'll be doing later when Esmeralda joins us. Uh, this has really taken off. Uh, it's a popular thing. Uh, we've got a bunch of them, and we want more, and we will, I, will, I will grant every megaphone wish that you want. Uh, I have the magic megaphone, and if you want me to speak something into it, a specific message, a specific saying, some sort of goofy shit, if you have something to say to someone or to something, or you just want to get a message out there and have it magically appear through the crazy megaphone on repeat, just do it. It's become a very popular segment, uh, and if you want a specific megaphone magic message sent out into the ether... Uh, I don't know, send us an email, just let me know what you want to say, and I'll say it. I am your um, magic megaphone monkey. NickDPodcast at gmail.com. In general, that's the email address to send anything to, but if you want a megaphone message, do it there too. So uh, NickDPodcast at gmail.com. Hey, coming up on uh, today's podcast, um, man, I'm so excited because I'm going to be reunited with somebody that I used to work with at the car wash at that really shitty radio station that sucks now. Uh, that I worked at for over 35 years. And she worked there with me, um, and I uh, followed her show for years on Saturday nights, on Saturday evenings. Um, And so I I would get to see her uh, every Saturday, and it was always a pleasure because she's lovely. And uh, we would get to, like, do crosstalk and hang out, and she would be leaving, and I would be coming in. She would end her show, and I would come in to start my show. And we did this for a while um, over at the car wash. Um, She's a great journalist, a great radio host. She also has a podcast. She is a screenwriter. 
Uh, and she's an, an amazingly talented woman. And we had caught up with each other. We hadn't seen each other in years until we went to Tom Hush's wedding. And Tom Hush, of course, being the executive producer of the Steve Cochran Show that you can hear weekday mornings, 530 to 9 on WLS, the big 89, WLS AM, the big 89. Uh, of which I am a regular on that show. You can hear me every other Friday talking about movies and all kinds of fun stuff and reviewing things. Um, so Tom, anyway, got married uh, a, a few weeks ago, and uh, this person was uh, at the same table as me, and we saw each other, and we caught up, and her name is Amy Guth, the lovely Amy Guth. So Amy Guth is going to be here. She's my guest today. We're going to catch up on stuff and talk about what she's been working on and all that cool stuff. I can't wait to talk to her. She's just amazing, and I love her, and she's great, and so we're going to have a great time. Esmeralda Leon, of course, is going to join me, as she does on every episode. It's just going to be her and I talking on episode number 100, Um, so it's always great to have her, and that's going to be a special episode uh, a week from today dropping. But today we're going to talk about um, celebrity romances and uh, all kinds of incredible love tips from celebrities. Now, if you ever want really good, intelligent tips about love, uh, you got to go to a celebrity. And some of these incredible romantic moves that celebrities have made. So we're going to talk about that. I do have another megaphone message to do that we'll do during that. And of course, we've got our Japanese snack test to continue. And we are going to announce the special guest who is going to appear at our Zanies event, our live Zanies event on January 17th. We are doing a, uh, uh, an event in January, as we did back in November, which was smashingly successful, and we're going to do it again. Tuesday, January 17th, it'll be the Nick D Podcast live. Me, Esmeralda, on stage, telling stories, making you laugh, having a great time, doing interactive things with the audience. We'll do some taste test stuff. We'll do some trivia. we got a lot of really cool prizes to give away, dinners and um, gift certificates, and we've got swag now to give away. We're probably going to have, we'll have some T-shirts, and we'll have some Nick D podcast coffee mugs. Um, it's cool. It's a lot of fun. It's interactive. You will be a part of the podcast, and it'll be recorded and everywhere forever, and it'll actually drop on the, uh, the network and on the internets uh, everywhere the day after, on the 18th of January. But on Tuesday night at 7.30 at Zany's in Rosemont, It'll be live, and we have a special guest, and we're going to announce who that guest is. When Esmeralda gets here a little bit later in the podcast, you will find out who this incredible, really cool guest is. And, of course, uh, on top of that, that'll get you to, to, to come out on the 17th. But also, my dad is going to come up and close the show by telling a couple of jokes. Nick's dad tells a joke live, baby. He killed in November. Killed. So if you missed it last November... You got a chance to come in uh, January. Or if you came in November, we want you to come back because we had such a great time. And everybody said they had a blast. So we will announce who the big special guest is for our Nick D podcast live event, January 17th at Zany's. If you want to get tickets, 847-813-0484. That announcement will be coming up during our segment with Esmeralda a little bit later on. So that's what's coming up on uh, this episode. Hi, I'm Carrie Russell, and I love Nick's show. I know you do, baby. All right, we'll, we'll hear from her as well. Hi, I'm Carrie yep, Russell, yep, and I, I love Nick's show. All right, let's get this thing started with the amazing Amy Guth. But let me say first, congratulations. Congratulations. You're about to listen to the Nick D Podcast. It's by far the best decision you've made today. It makes the other podcasts seem like crap. Oh, yeah. Don't be a jagoff. Okay. 
Okay, as I mentioned uh, at the top, I'm very excited uh, to welcome this specific guest to um, episode 98 here of the podcast. Um, we used to work together over at the, well, the, the, the Valdemort radio station, it shall not be named. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I used to follow her on Saturday evenings for a few years, and it was always great. It was always great because we would do crosstalk, and I'd get to see her as she was leaving, and, and uh, she'd get to see me as, we, as I was coming in. And it was fun. And uh, I've always admired her. I think she's a great writer and a great uh, communicator and a great broadcaster. And I'm thrilled that we got to catch up uh, at Tom Hush's wedding a, a few weeks ago. And I hadn't seen her in years. And, you know, they sat us at the same table. So all we did was, like, just talk all night. And, and I was like, at the end of the night, I was like, you have to do my podcast. And, and she said, yes, and I'm thrilled. And it's Amy Guth. Hi, Amy. Hello. That was a good talk. We were like, the world fell away for a little while. I feel like we had some catching up to do. No, no kidding. And I, you know, it was because, you know, like I hadn't seen you in such a long time and, and, you know, uh, we've always, you know, liked each other. I think I I, I know I like you. And, um, and so just seeing you and we had so much to talk about in common and we, we really did vent about that particular radio station and, uh, some of the wonderful stories that came, well, wonderful is it? (laughs) radio air quotes wonderful exactly but no it was great to see you and fantastic to catch up and i'm thrilled that we did catch up because it led to this your first time on my podcast and i'm I'm so excited i'm i'm here for it so uh well you know before we jump into some of the things you're doing and man you're busy uh i asked you i was like hey can you send me just a little uh a little bit about what we can talk about some of the stuff you're doing and it uh, you sent me war and peace uh, <laughs> <laughs> I did. And you know what? I, I think I cut the line out of the email, but I, I said, I hope this is enough. Cause I, yeah. you, you interview, like you interview such interesting people that are doing so many interesting things. I was like, um, I hope this is enough stuff no. to talk about, but I suppose no, I set, did. Okay. We're set for your next 10 visits. I think Amy, we're good. <laughs> uh, cool. well, first of all, background, just for people who might not be familiar with you and, and, and there might be some people who are listening to this podcast who, might not know who you are, where are you from, and how did you get into journalism broadcasting? Just a, a, the quick Amy Guth catch-up. Yeah, so you know what? I've always, I, I didn't even pick journalism. I just always did it. I was, I've always been a writer. I, I didn't, I kind of knew broadcast was in the picture for me, but didn't really know my way in. And I was working at the Chicago Tribune, and uh, one day somebody came upstairs to get me and just said, hey, come downstairs and have this conversation. And I kind of thought I was being interviewed about like background on a story. And then it, that was like a, a Thursday afternoon. And they were like, okay, so Saturday you'll be on. And I was like, great. What story am I talking about? They're like, no, 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 you're going to co-host. Oh, okay, sure. And like, that's how it started. And, but I think, I mean, I've told this story many times that, that when I was about four, I learned to swim because my dad threw me in the deep end of a pool. And he said, I'm not going to let you drown, but you do have to figure out how to get yourself out. And I think everything in my career has been exactly like that. I've just sort of jumped in and figured it out. So it, so, all, it, all, it all traces back to that very traumatic moment as a four-year-old. <laughs> right. It's really all about trauma informing all of my it life sure choices. Is. Yeah. 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 <laughs> as is the case for many of us. Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah. So that, that was like what brought me to broadcast. And, and I, I really loved it right away. And at one point I, I filled in for Milt Rosenberg. And I was very nervous about that because, I mean... That guy, you know, the, yeah. oh. I used to fo- I used to follow him too on Friday. Yeah, nights. right. Yep. yep. And, and one of the first times I was even on the radio was I was on as a guest of his show on the books show, and I didn't realize that the other people were not going to take the reading assignment seriously. So I walked in with these eight very heavy academic books that he had assigned 
us to read and discuss. And I had like post-its and note cards in them. And the other people were like, yeah, I, I didn't read that one. And I'm like, oh man, I had been really working hard. But, but you know, he said, hey, let her, let her fill in for me at some point. And, and I was like, well, I don't, I don't know how to work all those buttons. I don't know how to do that. And he said, you know, but you know how to tell a story and you know how to have a conversation with people and the rest yeah. can be learned. And that I was, was really say, the way I in. was going to say, Milt didn't know how to do all that stuff either. Right. <laughs> right. right. He didn't run the board. No, yeah. he did not. <laughs> so, so, so that was cool. So that had to be intimidating. Though. I mean, we're talking about Extension 720, which is, oh, you know, God. And, and I followed it and I always felt like I'd, I, walk, I would walk in after the show and I'd be like, well, uh, you know. Uh, it's it's time for the monkey to come in. You know what I mean? Like we've had we've had two hours of intellectual conversation. Now the guys right. the guy who's going to talk about Felicity and pro wrestling is coming on. That's fantastic. <laughs> right. So. right? Yeah. I mean he he brought it. He he brought a lot of intellectual power to that to that station that show. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it was uh, you know it was a pleasure to know him. But but I you know I got my footing. I figured it out. And I think mm-hmm. that's really the key to broadcast is you you learn by doing. You can read about it and and all that. But you have to watch people and listen to them and mm-hmm. and see you know what what is this person doing what do i like about their style and, and what is it that they do that i can learn from them and i think i yeah. learned something from every single person i ever ever worked with at, well, at the station we won't name you know to <laughs> echo to echo what you said earlier about the getting thrown into the deep end the deep yeah. end is extension 720 the deep end is filling yeah. in for milt rosenberg that 100 percent it is yes. and so yes. god bless you for doing that man congrats on that um, before you started um, broadcasting, doing the broadcasting stuff and getting thrown in the deep end there, yeah. uh, when you were working for the Trib, do you have favorite things that you would write about or report about? Were there, were there favorite stories or things in the time that you spent at the Trib? What were some of the things that you really dug? Oh, gosh. Well, I started there um, kind of in a hybrid role because I had a book come out and I had been live tweeting my book tour because, it, you know, social media was brand new at the time. And I thought, you know, this is going to change journalism and publishing forever. Mm-hmm. I, I'm just going to dive in and learn everything I can and see what happens. And I had been working with a book publicist and then she had her husband died right before the book came out. And they were kind of like, eh, it's your first book. It doesn't matter. I was like, well, let me just try, you know, let me just jump in and see what I can get accomplished. And so I had been trying to do a lot of creative things with social media and the Tribune noticed that. And they said, well, we're trying to kind of digitize the book section and bring this digital piece to it. Is that something you're interested in? At the same time, Chicago Now was spinning up and they said, we, we could also use your help kind of building that. So I came in in that way and it was an interesting time because two two things happened right at that time. I was initially focusing on local publishing and, and local indie authors and the iPad came out and suddenly it was different. So So suddenly it became almost this hybrid role between technology and publishing because it, it all looked different, right? It, it all it all started to look very different. Prior to that, I had founded a literary festival specifically celebrating small presses because I felt like there was a lot of lit fests, including Printer's Row that the Tribune ran, that paid a lot of attention and, and put a lot of effort into flying authors in from the coast, but at the, you know, at the cost of overlooking a lot of Chicago authors who were really doing amazing work. So Pilcrow Lit Fest was, um, was really focusing on them. And so stepping into that role in the Tribune, I was able to work on Printers Row Lit Fest and also bring a lot of small press and local author stuff to, to the conversation um, and, and to, that, to that event, which, which I, you know, I still see there today, which I'm, I'm really proud of doing. 
Well, that's great. That's re- and I remember when you first, uh, you know, started to work with the Trib, and that was because I, you know, obviously I was working for the company at the time too. Um, and uh, and then when you first started to pop up on uh, on that radio station, uh, yeah. And I was always like, wow, she's great, and I was thrilled. Thank you. Uh, thrilled that they gave you your own gig and that you filled in a lot. You did a lot of fill-ins. You filled in for me a bunch of times. I did. I filled in for you. There was one year I think. Uh, there's always that weird space between Christmas and New Year's where like yeah. everybody's off and it's just kind of a free for all. At one point, I think I was filling in for you and James Van Osdall was filling in for whoever was right after you. And our crosstalk got longer and longer and longer. Yeah. So by the end of the week, we just did like an eight hour show where we were just talking about apps on our phone. Well, I don't know right. what we were doing, but we had a great right. time. Well, before I got the the full time gig in uh, 2013, um, I had weekends um Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays, uh, mm-hmm. late night and overnights and stuff. Uh, as yeah. you know, obviously, I followed yeah. you on, uh, on Saturdays. Yeah. And um, and during that time, before I was full-time, I was one of those fill-in people uh, yeah. during the holidays. And at this time of year, I will say this, since we're as we're recording this, I was getting hour, and I was getting paid by the hour at that time. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it was like, yeah, check, paycheck is oh, going to yeah. be good this year, you know, this oh, month. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> right. yeah, no, I filled in. I remember there were times when, and I'm not kidding, I would do my show until like um something like three or four in the morning and then mm-hmm. sleep on the couch in john williamson's uh, williamson i changed his name <laughs> that guy uh, john Will- see i've forgotten him so much but anyway john williams office to to fill in for dean on a yeah. sunday morning so yeah. i'd like sleep for three hours at, at the station mm-hmm. and then come back and do this and fill in and it was yeah no during the holidays the holidays were my most you know like before i got the full-time gig um the holidays were the time when I was like, yeah, I was there all the time. So I know exactly what you're saying. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The holidays were always a thing because you'd be like, wow, that December paycheck. Good stuff. Exactly. And then you're like, oh, in that January one might get a pack of gum. Sweet. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly how it worked. Yeah. So anyway, well, it was fun. Across, uh, But, what, you know, um, I will say this, you know, we were reunited at Tom Hush's wedding. Yes. Um, and I want to apologize uh, officially for stealing Tom Hush from you. Um, <laughs> we might want to explain what that means, but I did steal Tom from you. You did. Um, Tom Hush was my producer for the Saturday night special and we worked so well together. We had such a good time. And then suddenly, <laughs> and then suddenly he moved to you and, and it was positioned at first to me, like, um, this just needs to work out. Like it, it, it wasn't, posi- it was like you were being, um, guarded in that conversation and then finally i was like so nick is just stealing him is what we're doing <laughs> they're like yeah pretty much fine yeah. like that's fine if well, anybody is gonna steal him I, like you it will be okay anybody else i would i was ready to fight him well tom's tom's a, as you know tom's one of the best producers that you could ever work with in the radio 100 percent. he's yes. amazing and uh, he's amazing. incredibly knowledgeable and way too smart to be 29 way i know it's ridiculous, right, Amy? I mean, I like, I'm like, how are you 29? And he, when I worked with him, he was 27 when I started working with him. You know what I mean? Like, he was like, I think a fresh 27 or maybe 26 when yeah. I started working. 26. I think he's 26 when I started mm-hmm. working with him. That's a kid. And I um, would forget because I would be, he has such encyclopedic knowledge of so many things, especially around music and history, that I would be referencing something and he would, you know, we'd be talking about it. And then he would be like, oh, yeah, I, w- I wasn't born yet. I was like, oh, oh, I that's know. right. You're not yeah. my peer. Right? We, and and he knows are, a lot about, he, he knows a, a shit ton about movies. Uh, oh, my God. You know. So, and, and, many, so and, much. Yeah. And that was what did it for me. I was like, well, 
hell. I mean, this guy is going to fit in really well. Yeah. And um, and I always forget. I get into conversations with him about films and stuff, and he's seen everything. Everything. Know? And, and then, he knows like, who have, was in it. I know it's ridiculous. And, like, yeah. He's that's why that's why like we worked so well together because I I'm a geek in that regard too. Like I know every director of every goddamn movie ever made and all that other <laughs> shit. That you know. But anyway, uh, I always like get into conversation with him, and then sometimes I'll say something, and then I'll forget, and then I have to be I have to realize that he was born the year that Jurassic Park came out. So I'm oh. like, okay, well. All right, that's how young you are. <laughs> you, yeah. you, you were born the year that Jurassic, the year that Jurassic Park and Schindler's List and uh, the Piano and Fearless. That wow. was 1993. That was the year he was born. So anyway, but anyway, to get to, and I stole him from you, but we were reunited at his wedding, which was yeah. lovely. The which was a was fun lovely. time. Yeah, it was a fan, it was a great time, and uh, and uh, it was really good to catch up with you and 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 all that cool. So oh, by the way. I I did I do have a little audio clip that I want to play specifically for you, okay? Oh boy. Here we go. Listen. Motherfucker food eater. <laughs> oh, so they... <laughs> <laughs> do that one more time. Motherfucker right? so... food eater. <laughs> All right. So I had to have that ready. <laughs> oh my god. I have Here. not said the word motherfucker or had it said around me in years without following it with food eater because yeah. river's edge is yeah, such yeah. a great yeah, movie but here's the here's a, a little bit longer right because i love this and i this is just for you and me amy yeah, yeah you go. just stay around here to fuck my mother and eat her food matt oh he moves it's the best, man. It's the best. <laughs> it's the best. That movie's so good. It's so great. Here's the thing. Uh, you know, you were you're a, a terrific journalist and a great writer and a lovely woman, and you've got a mouth like a truck driver. And I that's, really do. You do, and that is another <laughs> reason why you and I get along so fucking well. Because like I, you know, when people, when I first started this podcast and I was able to just say whatever I wanted to say, people, there were people complaining, like you're swearing a lot. And I'm like, well, I'm sorry, but that's the way I, I talk. Can. And the only reason I wasn't talking like that on, on the radio was because I couldn't. <laughs> so. Yeah. But anyway, that's what the is thing it? I, I, I always tell it? people that like the thing about broadcasters is like when we are, when we're not like, there's not a federal regulatory body watching what we say, we are ready to swear like that's it's the last right. day on earth. That's yeah. right. We're ready for we're ready for this. <laughs> so, but but it's funny because like a lot of people, um, a lot of people mistakenly equate swearing with being less intelligent, which is just not the case at all. Oh, and people are like, "Well, you're relying all. on swearing and blah blah blah." Uh, some of the most brilliant people in the world had filthy mouths, and 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 that's yeah. one of the things that that I that I love about you is that because I think you're brilliant and. And Thank the you. fact that you like to drop f bombs all the time, I think, is cool and it's refreshing. What, did you start swearing? I wasn't, wasn't planning on talking about this, but you, <laughs> did you start swearing at a young age? Was it something that you were exposed to? Was it something that you just thought the words were cool? Oh, all of the above. Um, I, I my parents have this story that uh, I was I had all, like my dad swears all the time, right? So I had always heard swearing, and I was helping my mom. She was washing the dishes, and I was drying them. I was probably about four, and she handed me a plate, and I dropped it, and I broke it. And she said, "I looked up at her, and I was so proud." And I said, "I know what to say, fuck." <laughs> and she was like, "I can't, I can't get mad because you, you were like, that's what you say when you drop something and you break it." <laughs> 
That's adorable. That's adorable. Yeah. So, so it started that early, like four-year-old Amy Guth drawing a dish, dropping it, and saying "fuck." That's what oh, one hundred percent. And you know what? I have been a journaler most of my life, and so I have some of these old grade school journals, which are hilarious, by the way. Mm. But they, I'm like learning the swear words and how to use them, right? Like. At one point, I call. I was really mad at my teacher for something, and I, I like called her a like she's a shitting bitch or whatever. Like I didn't understand. <laughs> like I didn't understand how to use it. That's the best, knew, though. By the way, Amy, that's the best is when people, when young people especially, <laughs> just take words and mix them up. Like my my aunt is the one who. T- I don't want to get back to your story, uh, your journal story in a second, but my aunt's the one who kind of taught me to swear. My mom's mm-hmm. mom mm-hmm. to the complete dismay of my parents. My dad actually yeah. didn't care, but my mom was just appalled. But yeah. my aunt taught me how to swear. And and I would hear her put the word fuck in front of anything. Oh, yeah. Like, that's the first time I ever heard fuck face was my aunt. <laughs> you know what I mean? She would go so far as, hey, fuck nose. She would, like, just, <laughs> hey, fuck eyes. Like, she would take parts of your body, you know, fuck arm and stuff. And I'd never heard anything like that. Like, she would just take the word fuck and apply it before everything. And that was the poetry that my Aunt Judy taught me. Yeah. Uh, back in the day but yeah but mixing up the words putting them together like you know a shitting bitch or whatever you said (laughs) is fantastic but now so this so go ahead you were saying in your journals you look back in your journals and there's a lot of that well let me add one for you my my mom to this day if you cut her off in traffic she will scream you rat fucker like what does that mean that's so good (laughs) that's so good yeah that's her word she's always saying rat fucker that's such that's a good one man that's strong that is strong yeah that's so good Anyway, uh, journals. Hey, yeah, you mentioned so I, your journals. Before you get yeah. back into that, have you ever, maybe you have, or maybe uh, uh, you've done Mortified? Have you done Mortified? I never have. I don't, oh, and okay. so many people have asked me about it. I have read these, some, some parts of these journals in public before, but I have not actually done that series. Ha, have you ever, do you know, or have you ever met Marnie Shore? Mm, no, I have not. Okay, Marnie is a contributor. She's a, 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 a frequent guest on my show. In fact, she'll be on, I think, uh, in I think four or five episodes. And she writes uh, for The Takeout, which is an offshoot oh, of The yeah. Onion. She used to write for The AV Club. Yeah. Um, and she's a regular. And she's one of the one of the people who runs Mortified. And their next oh. event is, um, uh, is on February 9th at the Music Box. Mm. And you should hook up with Marnie. And uh, you yeah. should. I, I think you are. I think you are so perfect to bust out some of your journals because mortified, as you know, is is people sharing videos or stories mm-hmm. or pictures or films um, that they did when they were a kid or when they were a teenager that is absolutely embarrassing now but hilarious, and they share it as part of a stage show. And I think you on stage reading some of the you know the shitty bitch uh, journal entries. <laughs> Would kill at Mortified. I think you would kill, and I think you should get in touch with Marnie. I'm going to hook you up with Marnie. Done. I, I'm yeah. in. So anyway, back to your journals. I just wanted to get you. I just want you to be a part of Mortified. That's all. Sorry. But, yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it. it. So anyway, your journals. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it, it, just some of the stuff in there when you're reflecting on, we just kind of looking back on on your brain forming and, and turning you into who you are now as an adult to go back and read some of that stuff is so funny. And I listened to every detail the adults around me said, and I scribbled it all down. <laughs> and I caught so many things like... I go on for at least a paragraph about how my mom was talking shit about my friend's mom and said, oh, you know, Jennifer's mom does the cocaine, (laughs) whatever. Like, like, I go on for days about this. And I like, 
was aware that my mom, my, I'm not my mom, my friend's mom was like smoking pot when I was over there, but I was just like writing about how, you know, her mom's cigarettes are so different than my dad's cigarettes. And, you know, right, 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 right. like I just, I wrote, I was just observing and, and to look at it was like, no wonder I do the work that I do because I was just, I was kind of a, I wasn't a shy kid, but I, I just was a little bit quiet, but I was always very curious and still am. And so I just like jotted down all these things and some of them, through the filter of a six or seven or eight year old is just hilarious. Yeah. And how I, you know, how I negotiated understanding the world and under trying to understand how to swear was yeah. it's good stuff. It's important. And I, and I, and I really, I get, I get, I get frustrated when people dismiss it. When people are like, like I said, a lot of people are offended by it oh, yeah. and, and, and they're like, Oh, you're relying on this, this word. It proves that you're not intelligent. I'm like, no bullshit. That's the, no. that's the opposite of what it is. It's poetry. And uh, I don't know, but anyway, but I, think I love it means the fa- like you're expressing yourself quite fully. In fact, I agree. I, and I one agree. of my least yeah. favorite expressions in the world is "tell me how you really feel," because it's saying like, "Hey, whatever it is you just said is too much." And I've always hated that expression. Like, I come in, I'm extra, and I come in hot, and I say exactly what I think. And yeah. there's usually a lot of swearing in that. Yep. And and when people are like, "Oh, gee, tell me how you really feel," I yep. literally am. I don't ask me to show up as less. I. You know what? I told you. I totally agree with you. And I've been hearing that a lot. I've been hearing that phrase a lot uh, since that fucking Avatar movie opened, and I reviewed it because um, <laughs> uh, I saw it. Uh, I saw it. I don't know, like about a week and a half before it opened, and I posted a couple of reviews on social yes. media and online. And of course, people were like, "Well, why don't you tell me how you really feel?" And I cut a whole YouTube video about how much I think uh, James Cameron is an overrated, uh, you know, mega maniacal, egotistical, misogynistic <laughs> jagoff. Yeah. Um, and and. People were like, yeah, man, tell us how you really feel. Because I was like going off on him uh, and going off on these Avatar movies. So, yes, that sentence, tell us how you really feel. I've been reading that about me a lot mm-hmm. over the past week. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's <laughs> aggravating. It really is aggravating. Yeah, it is. Anyway. Um, hey, before we jump into some of the stuff that you've been writing lately, and I so am so fascinated by so many of the things that you're doing, um, you, do, do, you do host a podcast for, uh, for Cranes. I do, yes. The Daily, the Daily Gist. And you actually work with... Uh, one of my old, uh, our old buddies from the car wash, who actually is the guy, one of the guys responsible for giving me the full-time gig, and that's Todd Manley, the great Todd Manley. Yeah, Todd Manley is is my producer on the on Crane's Daily Gist, and I'm thankful for him every single day because we have such a good system, you know, just by virtue of knowing each other for, for so long. Yeah. Um, and, and we crank out that show every morning, every weekday morning. And uh, it's kind of a, you know, four to five news briefs or kind of, hey, here are the big stories in Chicago business stuff that you might want to know about today. And then it'll be one interview, usually with a Cranes reporter about kind of a big story to unpack. But sometimes it's about, you know, a business leader or an author or somebody leading a foundation or something like that. Yeah. And that's uh, where people can get that. At, uh, it's called The Daily Gist. And where can people subscribe or, or get that podcast from Cranes? All the usual places. If you want to look at the archive, the best places to go to, uh, the best place to go to is chicagobusiness.com slash daily hyphen gist. That'll get you there. Or just head to the Cranes website and there's a podcast tab. You can head right there. Um, but it's on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and all those usual spots. And uh, yeah, right now I've been doing uh, interviewing a lot of the people that made the Cranes 40 under 40 list, which... I mean, there are some seriously awesome people on that list every year, but but this year, just being able to talk with with some of them one on one has been really powerful and really interesting. So, those are uh, those are all coming uh, kind of a highlight from some of those folks coming. Um, you know, the 
scattering for the rest, you know, scattering through the peppering through the the, the remaining episodes of the year and into the yeah. new year. Cool. All right. So that's uh, Crane's Daily Gist podcast, and you can yep. get it daily. Uh, give my best to Todd. Uh, I he, will. Yeah, he's he's an amazing dude, and uh, totally. And I and I love him. I really and do. like salt of the earth that guy. Completely, completely, and also one of the most like. Uh, Sort of transcendent dudes. One hundred percent. You know what you know what I mean, right? Yeah, he just gets it, and he just he's he's listening with um, like on another level than everybody else. I agree. I agree. Anyway, so my my best to Todd. Everybody should check out Crane's Daily Just podcast. So, um, uh, as a journalist and as a writer and everything, it, there's a it, it's a different muscle in your brain to exercise when you're doing screenwriting. Yeah. Um, when did you jump into that? And tell me a little bit about, well, I want to get into some of the specific stuff that you've written and that you are writing, but um, how did that jump from journalistic writing into uh, fiction or screenwriting happen for you? And, and what was that transition like? Yeah. So I, the, the foray into the film world initially was around documentary because that felt like a very logical extension of journalism to me. So I was doing a couple of different projects in that space and doing some work with a film festival and um, their Emmy-winning director, Rocco Cataldo, he uh, had started a, a, a screenplay back in 2013 and kind of set it aside and didn't really know where to go with it. And in kind of maybe midway through 2020, somewhere in there, he said, you know, hey, take a look at it. See if there's anything that jumps out at you about it. And I read it and immediately was like, I know exactly what to do with this script. So, so we ended up co-writing it and finishing it. And, and what I realized was that journalism makes you kind of, not only does it make you able to write very fast because of deadlines, but it also makes you a structuralist, right? Because you need to get that information in a really clear way and you need to you kind of understand how to hang the story together and lay it out, whether that's in broadcast or in print. And, and so that really ended up being an advantage that I could just kind of cut through the stuff and quickly see that in a script. And uh, when the script was finished, I was like, hey, you know, there's all these writing contests. We should send this script out. Um, and he was like, yeah, let's let's wait a little bit. And, and let me just kind of I think he just wanted to sort of sit on the script for a minute. And I um, sent it out anyway. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I sent it to a bunch of places and we started winning, which was cool. Um, so we got we got recognized by a film festival in Rome. We got recognized by, uh, gosh, let me think. There was like a bunch of them right off, like right out of the gate. And then we won the LA TV Script and Film Festival. And, and what's the script called? What's the, it is, I'm sorry. It is called Open Road. And it is, Road. A, okay. it is a story about a woman who is in a very boring, unhappy marriage and then accidentally kills her husband and <laughs> goes on the run. Uh-huh. And, and everybody goes accidentally. And that's the whole thing she really does by accident and realizes like, if I'm all this freedom I'm dreaming about, if I don't do it now, I'm I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to, I'm going to go to jail. So I got to, I got to go. So, um, so this, you know, it's a, it, it, I think it's a, a lot of times people are like, oh, and then how's it end? And, you know, but it, like it ends how it needs to, but, but I think it challenges a lot of tropes we see in women's stories that I like a lot. And it doesn't necessarily, you know, there's some romance in there that she finds along the way, but it doesn't necessarily go the way you think it will, um, which which is interesting to me about it. So we're in the process of developing that now. So that's that's what's happening with that one. That's great. So that's called uh, that's called um, open road. It's interesting. Yeah. I, I, can you talk a little bit more about um, you know co-writing with someone yeah. um, when you write with someone? What's that process like? I've written a bunch of plays and I co-wrote. 
a few and um the co-writing process for me, I found it to be different with each person that I wrote with. 100%. Yeah. Um, and I, 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 I wrote plays on my mm-hmm. own, which of course I don't have to worry about because it's just me. So it's mm-hmm. like, fuck, every decision I make is my own fault and yeah. you know, no one's going to argue me out of it. Right. But the co-writing process was different because in one case, the person would come over to my place or I would mm-hmm. go over to his place and we would write together. In mm-hmm. a couple of cases, I would write stuff, send it to them. They would send me back stuff and blah, blah, blah. But ultimately, mm-hmm. ultimately, I directed those plays, so it didn't matter. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, that's the way so to do it. I got the final fucking decision. But, mm-hmm. but tell me a little bit about what it's like to, to, to do that, uh, to, to co-write with someone. And also, a really interesting thing that you brought up, Amy, is that because you had such a journalistic eye and you were able to spot stuff in a screenplay that perhaps Rocket was ever not able to spot, mm-hmm. That's a great thing, you know, um, and tell me a little bit about that process. Yeah, so I agree. It's different with every person. I've now done two features, uh, or I've co-written two features now. And and um, with Rocco, it was a matter of like talking through it because he's a director. He's a director first. Yep. So it was like talking through it and the visuals. And so often like I was just capturing and we were kind of talking through um, and then after we after we won in LA with that script, um, two other things came came into focus. One was writing the adaptation for the same river twice, which is a memoir by Pam Mandel, mm-hmm. and and then also adapting. Uh, we got the the rights to adapt a uh, a short story that David Morell wrote. Of oh, David um, Morell of First Blood. Yeah, I know. That's yeah. when, when anytime I tell people, like, people are like, what are you working on? I was like, well, you know, the guy that wrote Rambo, like, I'm <laughs> yeah. adapting his, and they're like, you are? And I'm like, well, but here's the thing like, First Blood is a, is a thing that got a lot of eyeballs on his work for yeah. sure. Yeah. But he, he has some like really beautiful and he, dark and interesting work. He does. He's a terrific writer. And let me just say this uh, in defense of the first First Blood, mm-hmm. um, in my opinion, best movie Stallone's ever done best performance he's ever given and a legitimately great movie um, based on a really heartbreaking story that Morell wrote. And people forget that, you know, when you, whenever you see Rambo, it's all like, Oh, he blows shit up and there's 27 different sequels. But that first movie, first blood based on Morell, it's great. It's really great. And he's a terrific writer. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So this one is, is called Orange is for Anguish, Blue for Insanity. It was a short story published in 1988 and it was in a, a horror anthology called Primeval. And um, actually a long time ago, my cousin gave me a copy of that book and I read it and I was like, wow, this is such an amazing story. It's about this impressionist artist and everybody that studies him through the years ends up dying in the same way as Ooh. he does. And it's very creepy and dark. And, and I, I was like, you know what? Shoot your shot, man. And I just one day emailed David Morell and I'm like, hi, I have loved this short story for a very long time. I'm sure I'm not the first to ask. And he was like, sure, here's my agent's email. Rock and roll. Let's figure it out. He was very cool. Yeah. And I, you know, circled back with him after all the paperwork was done. And he was like, great. Good luck. Let me know if I can help. Wow. (laughs) Like he was, couldn't have been nicer. That's a great story, man. Like, hey, I'm just going to email the author and see what happens. Yeah, I was like, I don't know what was like where the stars were aligned that day, but I just was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm just going to email this guy because yeah. you know what? You don't ask, you don't get. Exactly. And and it was kind of the same way with this co-writing thing with uh, with Pam Mandel for her memoir. I was interviewing her 
And I read the book to prepare for the interview. And right away, I was like, this is such a cinematic book. It's a memoir of her traveling um, shortly after getting out of high school. And this, again, and is the same, the same river twice. This is the same river twice, yeah. Right. And, mm-hmm. and you know, it's kind of like the anti-Eat, Pray, Love. And, you know, anytime I say it's like, <laughs> it's a travelogue, people are like, oh, is it like Eat, Pray, Love? I'm like, no, it's not at all like Eat, Pray, Love. <laughs> I mean, here's the, in her book, in the memoir, the, the subtitle is, it's the same river twice, and then a memoir of dirt bag backpack, dirt bag backpackers, bomb shelters, and bad travel, and that kind of tells you, you go, a yeah. little bit more of what's going on with this. Yeah. But there's a like you know it, it's this moment in her life, uh, you know, shortly after high school, she didn't really have a plan. Sometimes if you don't have a plan, you can get led off course, and and getting back into back to listening to yourself and standing on your two feet and figuring all that out. And I just right away I was mm-hmm. like. Oh my God, this got to be a movie. Yeah. So I said, "Hey, hi! Before we go live, have you ever? Do you have the screenplay? You know, do you have the the um, the film rights to to your book?" And she was like, "No, but I really am interested in this." And so after the interview, we kept talking, and then uh, about a month or two later, we made it official. Like, okay, let's go talk to her publisher. And that's you know a little ridiculous that the author has to go get permission from the publisher to you know write the screenplay of her yeah. own life. But yeah. but here we are. And and we started working on it, and and so she lives in Seattle. So we were working over Zoom, and we were using uh, SmartSheet and like this project management software, and like uploading files to each other, and reading it, making adjustments, sending it back. And so we had like all these different page, you know, pages of and chapters kind of flying back and forth. And she was like, I, you know, she she had not written a screenplay before, but really like had that in her, really had the aptitude for it. Sure. And and we were sending all this stuff back and forth. And then she was like, I just I don't understand how this comes together. And I was like, trust me, trust me, I promise. We're just writing these big moments and we're gonna weave them together. And then we started kind of stitching them together. And suddenly I was like, okay, I think this is the part where where one of us gets on a plane. So I went to Seattle and and sat at her kitchen table for like four days. And we just like from morning to night sat there and I I like slept in her guest room and we just like, you know, went through all of it and typed fade out. And there it was like we got it done and immediately started sending it to to film festivals. Um, I mean, right away, we 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 um, I think there was one that was like closing that day. That was a, a film festival in Rome that I had also entered uh, Open Road mm-hmm. and, and gotten a mention there. And, you know, we just like I was like, let's get some laurels on this sucker and see what happens. Right. Yeah. Um, so, and, and, you know, what's great is that like Pam and I worked so well together. And so we, you know, I feel like I've gotten this like very good friend out of that yeah. all because like with both of them, with, with her and David Morell, I feel like I was just a matter of like, you know what, I'm just going to ask, have you yeah. thought about turning into this, turning this into a film? Um, of course I have created a monster because now Pam has, uh, she has gone and, and written a short film based on, she's a travel writer. That's her background. She actually runs, um, she co-runs a really amazing travel newsletter called The Statesider um, with Andy Murdoch and Doug Mack. And uh, it's like the, my favorite thing in my inbox. But she wrote this really beautiful story, this travelogue a while ago, um, about running into an Elvis impersonator in like the middle of nowhere in Skagway, Alaska. And, and I was like, man, that's a cool story. Have you thought about turning that into a screenplay? And, and she's like, okay, I'll think about it. And suddenly, you know, three days later, she comes back with this short, you know, the short script. So we're talking about that one. Cause I, I want to produce that one for her. You know, I mean, in the, in the elbow grease effort way, not the money way, I'm not a billionaire, but yeah. 
you know, in well, the effort what's, way. What, what's the title of this? That is called Elvis of the Yukon. See, I'm in already. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> exactly. I mean, that's a title. If that doesn't intrigue people, Elvis I know. of the Yukon. I mean, I know. if you can't get backers or people interested in helping get this short film made, then I don't know what the hell. You know what I mean? I know, right? I know. And I'm, I'm like, it would be because it's, it's like the whole thing takes place at basically like a laundromat in the middle of nowhere. I'm like, that would. We just need an Elvis. We yeah. need a plane at one point because the Northern Lights are involved and we need an Elvis with a cool, you know, powder blue Cadillac with some cherubs on it. But I'm, I'm like, that's doable. Those are yeah. those are problems that can be solved. So, right. um, you know, so so I, I feel like she and I will probably work on a lot of things together because we I felt like we really got into this wonderful group just sitting there at her kitchen table. And we we did a couple of read throughs. We We had this great system of like speeding through stage directions. And at one point I read the part that was her so she could just listen. And then she read the part that was her on her next read through just so yeah. she could listen to all the things. And I mean, I swear by the power of reading things out loud. I really yeah. do. Whether it, sense. yeah, like e even, even if it's a reporting or, or fiction or poetry, whatever it is, stop and read it out loud because what sounds awesome in your head might sound very, very stupid actually out You're loud. A hundred percent right. In in the nine hundred plays that I wrote with the Factory Theater, every time we would have our first read through, you know, either with you know the ensembles or the company or yeah. with the you know whatever, uh, an entirely different thing would happen in my brain because I'd yeah. hear it. I'd hear the actors say it or the people read it, and I'd be like, "Oh shit, that sucks." That's not good. <laughs> yeah. And, wow. And, and, and I wrote also, that. <laughs> yeah, and also it's like you never, you know, because I wrote, uh, you know, Factory produced uh, comedies yeah and so shit that i thought would kill like i'd be like at my typewriter or at my computer going yeah that's fucking funny uh -huh. and then at the read through zip you yep. know what i mean like crickets i'd be like oh shit i gotta cut that you know mm -hmm. but it but it's i i totally agree with you when you hear other people read the stuff that you write it takes on a completely different uh angle completely oh 100 percent. so yeah. so different yeah yeah uh well let me ask you uh, uh so so the 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 difference between journalistic writing and screenwriting, how much of the journalism stuff sneaks in? You mentioned a little bit, but uh, uh, but how much of it do you use every time that you sit down to write something that's not uh, journalism? That's not that wouldn't fall under the guise of reporting or yeah. journalistic. Yeah, I, I think it's constantly there for sure. It's always there because I'm I'm always thinking about okay, every single word has to have a job and it has to advance the plot or the point and every scene needs a job. And I think it's made me like um have a major economy of words thing going on. But bigger than that, I'm able I keep tabs open in my brain of okay, this plot line is happening and this, you know, I think it helps me just sort of organize plot lines and continuity really well because in a story, if you were reporting on that, you're like, okay, but this person I talked to, I got to tie up that end with that person. Mm -hmm. I got to figure that part out. And I think that's just, it, it, I think that has really translated well in a way I didn't, I didn't even expect it to. I just thought, eh, I'm going to screw around and write a story, whatever, and see what happens. But I think that it really, um, it, it makes it go fast. But it also, I just think there's a little bit of, of magic in, in the ability to structure a screenplay. It probably makes me a giant pain in the ass to work with because I'm mm. always like, mm, nope, because in page four, we said this. Nope. In page nine, we're going to say this. We got to do yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. But I think it's it's been to my advantage. Yeah. Okay. Well, in, in uh, so getting into the world of film, you actually, 
it's it's not just writing movies and now producing and then ultimately uh, I'm looking here at, at my notes and you're going to direct um, mm-hmm. uh, a, a, a film as well. But you also programmed film festivals and worked behind yeah. the scenes at that kind of thing. Tell me a little bit about that experience, what what that was and what that will be and how that has affected the way that you write on the creative side. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to be said for if everybody in the world is sending you their film because they want it programmed, you got to sort through a lot of stuff. You got to sit through a lot of things. And I think there's a lot of value in going to film festivals and seeing what does make the cut. But if anybody in, in interested in film, um, first of all, whatever your local film festival is, they need you and they would probably love for you to be at least a preliminary screener because it's an overwhelming job. But I think there's a lot of value in watching, honestly, terrible films. Mm-hmm. Because you have to go, why did it suck? Okay, well, I mean, sometimes it's very obvious. Like, well, the boom mic is in the shot the entire time. Or that <laughs> right. that actor is fucking terrible. Right. But other times you're like, well, okay, but what made the, the production value low? What made it look bad? Why did it look cheap? What make, What's the difference? How can I define the difference between a student film and a, and a professional one? What, what, what does that bring to it? And it makes you sharpen your point of view. The same with watching a bunch of movies, right? You're like, it's not enough to just hate it. Why did I hate it? Yeah. What, you know, what, what's that about? And I think you develop your point of view and you develop uh, discernment, which I think is an advantage in anything we do. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's, those are great. Those are all, those are all absolutely legit uh, points. So what, what do you, I mean, there's so much stuff on the docket here for you that you are doing. What is the most immediate thing that you're jumping into next? We've talked about some of the screenplays and things like that. And yeah. even if it's something we've mentioned, what's the next step and the next thing that Amy Guth is doing to get something made? Well, I'm definitely the, the, the directing thing that we were talking about. Um, it, that's a short that I wrote called A Thousand Cuts. And uh, it's I, I don't know where I got this idea, Nick. It's really just it's going to sound totally out of left field to you. Uh-huh. It's about a woman that works at a radio station and, <laughs> and all these kind of like um, traditional broadcasters that are mostly old white men keep passing her up and ignoring her work. And she, you know, she just kind of keeps getting passed over and ignored. And there's a lot of sexism and and a lot of bullshit. And so she finds out on a commercial break that her producer has actually stabbed her in the back and thrown her overboard and he's going to be taking over her show. (laughs) I'm sorry. I thought for a second that you were going to go and has moved on to the overnight show. with (laughs) Uh, I I was like, shit, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) And so, no, Uh, so she, she actually, she stabs the producer on the break and then goes back on the air like nothing. God, that's fantastic. Yeah. And she's so, you know, imagine like you've just stabbed somebody and then you're just like, turn the mic back on like, hi, it's Susan. And we're back with, and I'm about to interview this person covered in blood with this bloody knife sitting next to you. You fucking rule. That is amazing. (laughs) That is amazing. I might, I might never be invited into a radio station oh, again after that's that. That's the best but. goddamn thing I've ever heard. That's called a thousand cuts. A you thousand need cuts. to, you need to start shooting it tomorrow. Like I seriously. Yeah. Oh yeah. my god, that is fucking great. And I can't tell you the number of producers that I would have liked to have stabbed over the years that I worked. Um, <laughs> one in particular, I'm not going to get into it, but there's one producer that I was stuck with for a couple of years, the worst producer I've ever worked with, and who on multiple occasions I would have loved to have stabbed. I will say this. When I finished this script, I, I actually I told Tom Hush about it. And I was like, listen, I wrote this script. A producer gets stabbed for being a piece of shit. And I just want you to know it, it is not you. It is not based on you at all. <laughs> and I know like, that they're OK, thanks, buddy. <laughs> no, I think it's for, for, for anybody who was working with me at a certain period of time. And by the way, uh, you were there uh, during this period of time. 
Yes. This producer that I was working with it, 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 uh, was not a very liked person at this mm. radio station. Mm. Um, and I think not just me, but I think a lot of people that work with this person would have enjoyed stabbing him. But that's just me. Uh, so <laughs> anyway, no, that's a thousand cuts. Oh, that I am the first in line for that one. I, yeah, I will. I would nervously await your assessment of it. Oh, but be, no, no, be no. Gentle. Hey, if you want me to be in it, I'll play the producer. I don't care. Whatever you, whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That's just too good. Too good to not be made tomorrow. And, yeah. and you know what? It needs to be seen in 3D. Fuck Avatar. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, listen, this has been amazing. And the time has just flown by and I knew it I would. Um, w- would you mind being like a like a like a regular guest on this on this podcast? Oh my God, I would be honored to be a regular guest. Okay, so here's what I guarantee: the next time that you're on with me, and we'll book a time, probably yeah. like in January sometime or maybe February, uh, you will have uh, your own theme song. Okay, and it will be composed and performed and produced by uh, I believe you know Jason Skaggs. Yes. Yes. Well, he is my 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 music and sound and uh, and audio guy. And uh, he does the opening theme. He does all the themes for everybody. And uh, he does a theme for all of my regular guests. And I'm going to email him as soon as we're done here. And I'm going to say, I need, a, <laughs> I need a theme song for Amy Guth. And he's going to write it. And the next time you're on, Jason Skaggs will have composed and performed a theme song just for you. I have been waiting for that moment for years. <laughs> I bet you <laughs> I am psyched for that because he well, is very talented in that regard. And he, he, he's, in, in, he's incredibly oh. talented. I love him. He does all this stuff on spec, obviously, because I don't oh have the time. Um, and he does amazing work every time. And he's also, and you know this, Amy, you worked with him. He's fucking nuts. He's like <laughs> certifiably nuts. Uh, and that's one of the things I love about him. So, But anyway, uh, I, I'm so glad that we did this and uh, catching up. And we're going to do it uh, again and again and again. You're the best, Amy. And it was great talking to you. And yes. and, and if everybody, uh, anybody wants to uh, catch up with what you're doing and where you're at, you've got amyguth.com, correct? People can see that yep. stuff there? Yes, that's the best way to find me. And that's G-U-T-H. That's the last name. Uh, G-U-T-H. And as you say, rhymes with truth. Mm-hmm. There you go. Amyguth.com. Check it out and listen to her daily uh, if you want to check out the Daily Gist from Cranes, uh, the podcast. Uh, Amy, uh, it, it was just a fucking delight. One, one more time uh, One more time before you go here. Food eaters! <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love that so much. Thank you <laughs> All right, so Amy, much. you're the best. Take care. There's uh, Amy Guth, everybody, and uh, Esmeralda Lee. Esmeralda. It is. It's Esmeralda Leon. She is uh, my cohort in crime here uh, and joins me on every episode. And uh, and here she is. Hi, Esmeralda. Hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm okay. I'm good. Had some fun uh, hanging out with my colleagues at the Chicago Film Critic Association where we handed out the uh, annual film awards. Oh, very nice. That was fun. That was on Tuesday? Uh, Wednesday. 
Wednesday. Today is Friday, okay. yeah. So, well, it's actually Thursday, but don't tell anybody. Anyway, uh, yeah, so it was... <laughs> Uh, it was Wednesday night, and it was at the Brick House Tavern and Restaurant. Sure, on the Gallagher Way <laughs> there, right outside of Wrigley. And I kind mm-hmm. of hyper, I hyperventilate mm-hmm. when I ever go into that area because I grew up six blocks away, right on Addison. And that area is just so, I mean, unbelievably different than it was when I was growing up. Oh yeah, I mean, even different from ten years ago when I was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> No, seriously. Well, if I was ever there, yeah. you know, for anything yeah. in my college years or whatever. No. Yeah, uh, completely it, it, different. Completely. I mean, you know, you know, you know, that's what happens, Esmeralda, when you win a fucking World Series. Suddenly you can just do whatever you want <laughs> in that neighborhood. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. you know so it was right around 2014, 2015 when things, you know, things were always changing. I mean, for mm-hmm. me, I grew up there, you know, so like from 1965 to 1984, I lived in that area or 1980, end of 1983, I lived in that area, mm-hmm. in that neighborhood. And uh, when the Cubs almost went to the World Series in 1984, after that season, that's when things began to change. Because when I was growing up, the neighborhood was shitty. There were gangbangers everywhere. And uh, Wrigley Field was a dump with a shitty baseball team playing in it. <laughs> which is not the case now. You know what I mean? Now it's like the hippest place in the world. Everybody loves the Cubs. Everybody, that was not when I was a kid. Yeah. it was. I mean, it was, you know, gangbanger central, man. I mean, you know what I mean? Like if you went east of Ashland on Addison, there was a real good chance that you were going to get your ass kicked by gangbangers. Oof. Yeah, I'm not kidding. And, and you know, and, and, the, and Wrigley Field was like, I don't know. They would, what, what would they get, 5,000 people at some games? You know, maybe sell out every once in a while. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was within the, I was, when I was around there, they were selling out. Yes. But it was like, because it was just fun. No, that's the thing. Like I said, 84, when they almost went to the World Series in 84, and Steve Garvey can kiss my ass. Anyway, uh, when they almost went to the World Series in 84, that's when things gradually started to change. When they got lights mm-hmm. in, 80, in, in, in 88, when they got the lights, that completely changed everything and then it became hipster and then it turned into Wrigleyville that was not when I was growing up it was Lakeview it's still Lakeview and technically Wrigleyville's not a real neighborhood it's a made up Wrigleyville's not a real Chicago neighborhood that's fucking made up that's Lakeview so Wrigleyville was a thing that you know someone made up to sell you know buildings and to sell advertising and stuff and Mm -hmm. Wrigleyville is a it's a not a real neighborhood but then suddenly in the 80s, it became Wrigleyville, and everybody loved the Cubs, and Wrigley Field was the thing to do, and it's only multiplied over the years. And then after they won the World Series, it was all over. Like, that's when, you know, four-star hotels popped up across the street, you know. Um, and the place where we were last night, this Brick House Tavern where they handed out, I'm sorry, Wednesday night, two nights ago, um, <laughs> when we handed out the film awards, that used mm-hmm. to be Yum Yum Donuts, for, sure. Yeah. For anybody who grew up or was <laughs> that's around. Bef- that's even before my time. Yum Yum Donuts was there for uh, into the mid 2000s. It was there for a long well, time. Well, nobody yeah. looked at it then. <laughs> yeah. Yum Yum Donuts was right across the street. You knew the McDonald's, right? At Clark and Addison there? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. It was across the street from the, it was, it was a little bit down the block towards Waveland across the street from the McDonald's. Yum Yum Donuts. <laughs> did you go, did you go north on Clark ever? <laughs> Yeah. Because it was right. It was like literally right. It was on Clark near Waveland is where Yum Yum Donuts used to be. And that's where 
in the old days, the parking lot for the for the players used to be there. So you would have Yum Yum Donuts and then the parking lot. And you would wait as a kid in the 70s and stuff and into mm-hmm. the, probably in the early 80s, at least when I was a kid, you would wait for the players to come out to their car with your program to have it signed. And then you'd get donuts. Ooh. And then you would go get donuts at Yum Yum. Then you'd get donuts. At Yum Yum Donuts, yeah. <laughs> and that was before. You know what used to be the, at the McDonald's, where the McDonald's was? Well, now it's a four-star hotel. The McDonald's is still in there. Right. You right, know, and, yeah. They, they, but, but they but, knocked down the original right. building, whatever and, that thing was. Now it's a fancy-ass hotel with all kinds of shit in it mm-hmm. and restaurants and stuff. But the McDonald's is still in there. The difference is that you pay $14 for a Big Mac instead of three. That's the... <laughs> That's the difference. But you know what uh, used to be the old, you know, McDonald's, just the lone McDonald's on the corner of Addison and um, Addison and Clark. And that's, by the way, where we would do our remotes uh, at the car wash years ago when the when the Cubs were when the Cubs used to be on GN. Mm -hmm. Whenever they did remotes, we were right in front of the McDonald's. That's where the stage would be set up, the mobile stage. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's where we would (laughs) set it up. Um, But anyway, that used to be. When I was a kid, I used to love going to the Cub games because we, that always means that we would stop at Franksville. Are you familiar with Franksville, Esmeralda? I am not. There's one. I think there's still one at Addison and Harlem. I think if you Google it, it's Franksville, one word. Um, and there, I think the one is still there at Addison and Harlem. Um, and there was one at Addison and Clark right across from Wrigley. And Franksville was, it was a hot dog place, like a, a really cool. And, and it, it had a train logo, Franksville. It was like a, a, a place that the, that the train would stop and you could get hot dogs. And Frank was the mm-hmm. conductor. Oh, wow. <laughs> and you would go get, you could get corn dogs there and footlongs and all kinds of stuff. So it was a really cool hot dog restaurant that had a couple of locations in Chicago. And the most famous one being at Addison and Clark right across from Wrigley. So when I was a kid, Franksville, Yum Yum Donuts, and a Cub game. And the walk home would mean you'd get killed by one of the Simon City Royals or the Latin Kings. That's, that's Well, what, there you go. That, that's what, <laughs> How's that for a souvenir? <laughs> yeah, a couple of stitches courtesy of the Latin Kings. That's, uh, <laughs> so. uh, but yeah, Yum Yum Donuts, uh, that's where we were uh, the other night, handing out awards at Yum Yum Donuts, I like to say. And I was just being at, you know, at one point I was like, I was at the table with a bunch of my, my buddies, you know, Colin and Eric and Peter and, you know, and Richard Roper was there. He, it was very cool for him to come. He, he hasn't come in a while, but, uh, to the mm-hmm. event, but he's a member of the association Richard is. And he presented, uh, an award. I can't remember which one he presented, but he presented an award and it was cool. It was fun to have him there and a whole bunch of people I haven't seen in a long time. And this was the first time they've done the award ceremony in three years live. Because it was Zoom. Oh, wow. okay. The last couple yeah. of years, it's, it was Zoom. I think one year it was canceled, and a couple of years it was just Zoom. So this is the mm-hmm. first time we were all in one room. And this was my first year back. Like, I was away from the uh, Film Critics Association for a few years. And so it was my first one back. And so it was great. It was just fun to be there. Uh, but then I was, like, at the table regaling people with my Yum Yum Donut story. And they're all just like, why don't you just shut the fuck up and, you know. Because <laughs> I'm like, God damn it, this used to be a Yum Yum Donuts and now it's $44 for a Modelo, you know. And I, so. so, anyway. But it was fun. Anyway. Um, hey, you're excited about uh, Tuesday, January 17th, aren't you? Oh, of course. It's so. It's going to be so much. Be fun. a night on the town. It is that town being Rosemont. <laughs> yes. Yeah. See, 
<laughs> the town of Rosemont. The town of Rosemont. Well, uh, we are doing our second live event. Well, third, if you count flashback, but that was exclusively for, for flashback uh, customers. Right. Yeah. This yeah. is for the entire public, and we want everybody to come and get your tickets now. We did it in November at Zany's in Rosemont. We're doing it again. They're letting us take over the place. It'll be you as Merelda, me, mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. stage. Telling stories, regaling everybody, making everybody laugh, talking to the audience, interacting, giving cool stuff away. We're also going to have swag, Esmeralda. I'm excited about this. We got Nick D Podcast t-shirts. I cannot believe we have t-shirts. We have Nick D Podcast coffee mugs, Esmeralda. That's even better. Yeah. Because then people are going to stare at that mug. That's right. Almost every day, I'm sure, having exactly. a cup of coffee. Every morning, you can have a cup of coffee in your Nick D Podcast coffee mug. And we'll have uh, gift cards to give away, dinners, and all kinds of cool stuff. We'll ask trivia questions, and we'll have stories and stuff like that. It's going to be a lot of fun. We had a great time with a bunch of laughs. We, our special surprise guest was Tony Fitzpatrick, and he was amazing. And my dad got mm-hmm. up and told jokes. He's going to do that again. Mm-hmm. We're going to close the show Very with my dad. Very good. I think people would riot if uh, yeah I, yeah that's why people are didn't coming. have your dad on <laughs> yeah they want to see my eighty year eighty one year old dad get up on stage and kill and he killed as you know he killed oh, yeah. oh he could have done the whole show <laughs> that's exactly right we were just an afterthought by the time my dad oh, got yeah. up there but anyway mm-hmm. um, we kept our special guest Tony Fitzpatrick a surprise until that night well we're not going to do that now we're actually going to tell you who the surprise guest is. And as I mentioned before, this is an actual Emmy Award winner, like a real Emmy Award. Yeah. You know? This is some high-class stuff here. That's right. An Emmy Award winner, not like a local Emmy Award winner. Hey, I interviewed a guy at a car wash and woke up. <laughs> not, to, not to downplay the, no, no. the local Emmys. No, no, not to downplay that. Well, listen, I, you know, yeah, exactly. I, not to downplay that. Who am I to talk? I got a... I got an award where they stuck it in the ground and then ripped it up, and it's now in my kitchen. So I have no fucking, I have no room to talk. You know what I mean? Oh. Every award I've ever won is on my is on an end table right now. So yeah, <laughs> all the prestigious awards that were packed up when they packed up my office and sent my shit to me after they canned me, it's on an end table right now. So, but anyway, nice. yeah, no, it's it's great that you've won the local awards. But I'm saying this is like a national, this is like a real right. Emmy award. Um, and uh, a legend in stand-up comedy, and a great writer and a great person. Ezreal, are you ready to reveal? Yes. Who our special guest is? Do you want to? You want to do the honors? You do it because I okay. feel like you're going to have some kind of intro. All right. Well, <laughs> as I said, he's a, an incredible stand-up comedian. He's an Emmy Award-winning writer, producer, uh, actor, um, and he is one of the nicest guys on top of being one of the most genuinely funny guys in the world. And he mm. is mm-hmm. Dwayne Kennedy. Dwayne Kennedy. Yay! Applause. She is unbelievable. <laughs> um, and Dwayne has been in the stand-up world for, oh my God, 30, over 35 years. Um, nice. And I'll just read really quickly uh, his quick bio here. Mm-hmm. And this just doesn't even do him justice because he's just so brilliantly funny. Uh, Dwayne Kennedy, stand-up comedian, actor, writer. As a producer, he won a 2019 Emmy Award for the CNN original series United Shades of America, which was a great documentary about uh, uh, black comedy. Um, And he's mostly known for – he's known a lot for his work with uh, W. Kamau Bell, who you know. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was an amazing Mm -hmm. dude. Uh, works with him on so many things. Um, but he's described as a world-class stand-up by The Village Voice, a legendary comedian by the Chicago Tribune. 
He is one of the funniest, most thought-provoking, influential comedians of all time. His satirical diversions and piercing perspective on social world issues um, uh, means that he's a comedic genius hailed and heralded by the likes of Chris Rock and Mark Maron. He is the winner of Best of Best Comedian at the 2002 uh, HBO U.S. Comedy Arts Festival in Aspen. He's performed on The Late Show with David Letterman, Late Night with Conan O'Brien, Jimmy Kimmel Live, The New Negroes, and has both uh, had uh, Showtime comedy specials, Comedy Central comedy specials. He is a former writer and correspondent for the Chris Rock-produced, critically acclaimed FX series, Totally Biased, with W. Kamal Bell. He's written for the Arsenio Hall Show. He's written for the Orlando Jones Show. His acting credits include Martin, 227, Amen, Thin Skin, and Esmeralda. He's on an episode of Seinfeld. Oh, really? Yeah. We're talking way back. Oh, boy. Way back. Um, well, he, yeah, I mean. <laughs> yep. He has released, uh, an, uh, a few years ago, he released his first full-length comedy album called Who the Hell is Dwayne Kennedy? Um, and he is our guest. That guy is our guest, Dwayne Kennedy. So that is pretty awesome. It is very awesome. He's a fascinating dude. He's a funny guy, and I do want to say this on a personal note. He's an incredibly nice guy because for a little while, uh, for about a, a couple of years, almost a couple of years, I was doing stand up at Zany's on Wells once mm-hmm. a month just to you know make a little extra dough and, and try it out. And um, and I worked with a, I got to work with a lot of really great comedians who headlined, and I was just the, I was just the idiot who came up first. Like Pat McGann would introduce <laughs> me, and I would come yeah. up and do ten or fifteen, and then leave. And then by the end of the night, nobody remembered me. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> I was like one of three comedians <laughs> on the bill. And Dwayne was one of the few headliners uh, to actually watch my set because you know they, they don't have to watch the people. You know what I mean? Like the headliners, they don't have yeah, to do that. Yeah. He yeah. stood in the back of the room at Zany's and he watched my set. And when I got off the stage, I walked back to the bar and immediately started drinking. I walked back to the bar and he came up to me. Dwayne came up to me and uh, said, hey, man, nice job. And started to talk to me about the set and how good it was and what I needed to do to improve. And if I was serious about it, he gave me his number. Oh, and, wow. And he came up to me. That's you know what I mean? Great. Headliners don't do that, man. You know what I mean? In the world of yeah. stand up. And, and listen, you're friends with Patty. Patty can tell you nightmare stories about what it's like to work in the stand-up world, especially as a woman, um, mm. and how much, uh, how cutthroat it can be, and how some stand-ups are jag-offs and hate it if you get laughs and they don't. You know what I mean? Uh, but Dwayne's not like that. He sincerely cares about comedy, and he wants everybody to be funny. And he's a wonderful dude. So That's awesome. Yeah. And, and just a, wait. a career. Can't wait to see him on Tuesday. It's January 17th. That's right. Tuesday, January 17th. 847-813-0484. Rosemont.zanies.com. Get your tickets now. Uh, it's going to be interactive. It's going to be great. And Dwayne Kennedy is our special guest, a legendary stand-up comedian. And um, do, you, do you know what episode he's on of Seinfeld? Because it's an early one. It's like season... Um, I do now because I look. I found oh, okay. it. All right. But I don't recognize it. No, he... Okay, you don't, you don't recognize the episode or him? Yeah. No, okay. the well, b- either because he looks vastly different. From he, what he looks, looks like now. <laughs> incredibly different. Like if he, he, you can't even. It, you, you're. It's astonishing that it's the same guy. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's astonishing the way he looks now and the way he looked back then. And this was this was back in '91. So you know we're talking 31 years ago. Um, but he's on the episode called uh, "The Stranded." 
Mm-hmm. And it's when Elaine and George and uh, and Jerry go to a party out on Long Island. And George goes home with a woman and Elaine and Jerry are stuck there. And they have to have Kramer <laughs> come out to Long Island to pick him up. And the person whose party it is is Michael Chiklis, who would go on to be, you know, oh. the shield and the commish. That guy. Yeah. And he played, yeah. J- he played John Belushi in Wired. That guy. Um, but one of the guests at the party that they're at is Dwayne. And Dwayne has a scene with Julia Louis-Dreyfus. And it involves his knowledge of the peanut. So that's, that's all I'm going <laughs> So the first question I'm going to ask Dwayne when we hit the stage on Tuesday, January 17th is, okay, um, back in 1991, did everybody stop you on the street and ask you to tell them about the history of the peanut? That's the first. <laughs> so. But anyway, he's a legend. He's amazing. So Dwayne Kennedy is our, in addition to all the other great, hilarious, fun, interactive stuff and giveaways that we're going to have that night, Dwayne Kennedy is our special guest. He's a legend. Uh, so 847-813-0484. Zanies, uh, check it out in Rosemont on January 17th or rosemont.zanies.com. All right. Uh, are you ready for a megaphone uh, message, Esmeralda? Always. It's the magic megaphone, uh, which has become this big popular thing where you can email me whatever you want me to say into my megaphone and it will magically appear in the ether and we have a lot of requests and if you request anything i am your monkey i am your megaphone monkey message boy (laughs) so send me an email with what you want me to say nickdpodcast at gmail.com or leave a voicemail at 773-417-6948 let me read this one now now most of these have been kind of goofy you know, mm-hmm. uh, saying stupid shit. I mean, it's me talking into a megaphone and it gets echoed and we repeat it. So it's not right. the most serious thing in the world. Yeah, it's a, it's a lighthearted. Yes, it is. Well, Renee uh, sent this wonderful, I'm not going to read her whole email, but a wonderful email that was really heartwarming and telling her story about growing up. Uh, she spent a lot of time in Chicago at Wax Tracks and the Metro and Abbey and uh, the Aragon and the Cubby Bear and a lot of places that I went to. And then she says that her dad used to, take her to the theater every weekend, which sounds a lot like me, my life. Yeah. My dad was a horror film fanatic, is a horror film fanatic, and he turned me on to a lot of horror movies. And then he was a listener of WGN. He turned me on to you. And now I listen to your podcast. Um, And um, she says, I've been going through a difficult time in my life. I fell and I had a brain injury in 2020, right before the pandemic. Um, And like everywhere, my theater had to close. And this is a, this is a person who's been working on, uh, on theater, you know, uh, in New York. Mm-hmm. We pivoted to streaming programs, but our revenue fell apart. Um, and we had emergency fundraising t- to, with an active brain injury. We had a massive water leak in the building that caused a bunch of damage. Uh, and this is um, the movie theater that she helps put together. And so the message that she wanted me to uh, give out um, was uh, about this th- theater called the the Cinema Arts Center, mm-hmm. um, and they have a great program that you can great programs that you can learn from. And she programs a lot of the stuff and the films, and it's in New York. Oh. Uh, but but they're, they're in danger of closing. Um, oh no! Not only you know the horrible things that happen to movie theaters and theaters in general because of the pandemic and the shutdown and everything. But the damage to this horrible, you know, flood that took place, and they're really Oof, trying to get yeah. back. And you know, uh, you and I are both like um, familiar with the plight that people have to go through to keep small businesses open. Oh yeah, 
yeah. Um, and, you know, you know how hard it is, like, if you want to do theater of any kind or if you want to program movies at a movie theater, it's hard to keep that shit going. And then a pandemic and then tragedy strikes in your own life. And this woman had a brain injury, for God's sake. And then natural disaster happens, and they're trying to keep this place open. So the message that she wanted me to, uh, to say into the magic megaphone is this. CinemaArtsCenter.org slash get hyphen involved slash donate. That's CinemaArtsCenter.org slash get hyphen involved slash donate. CinemaArtsCenter.org slash get hyphen involved slash donate. Right. That's CinemaArtsCenter.org slash get hyphen involved slash donate. Okay. So you get the end. Whoa. Oh, Jesus boy. Christ almighty. Hit the wrong. <laughs> well, anyway, if you want to give to the Cinema Arts Center, they need your help. Um, and now it's not local. It's in New York. It's a small town on the East Coast. Uh, but they need your help, man. And if you want to get involved, it's a really cool place. If you Google Cinema Huntington, New York, uh, it'll pop up and there's a donation button on every page. But if you want to do it directly, mm-hmm. it's cinemaartscenter.org. And that center, by the way, is spelled uh, in the British way with the Century. Centra. Centra. Century. <laughs> yeah. So it's cinemaartscenter.org slash get hyphen involved slash donate. Or as the megaphone says, uh, cinemaartscenter.org slash get hyphen involved slash donate. There you go. So anyway, so Renee, I wish you the best of luck. I know how hard it is to keep that kind of stuff going. And I know how special it is to have, um, you know, a movie theater does really great programming. We're really lucky to have the music box, Esmeralda, in this city. Yeah, and um, totally. So overcoming a massive water leak and, dam- and damages, the pandemic, and personally, this woman had a brain injury. And Oof. they're just trying to keep this place open. So give what you can. That's all. And if you just want to Google Cinema Huntington, New York, It'll be the first thing that pops up. The Cinema Arts Center will pop up, and you can donate uh, that way. So this this uh, this episode's megaphone um, message is not a dumb one. <laughs> uh, and look at the. Do you see that? Do you see the range that that megaphone has? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> From yeah. silly to serious. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so anyway, give what you can. It's uh, it, you know, it's very very it's very very cool. So and and again, if you want to leave, hey, if you want to leave a stupid voicemail message or or you want me to do a dumb megaphone, me- we'll get back to the dumb ones because the next one that I'm doing is really stupid. So we'll get back to oh, the good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't want to we don't want to be too heavy. But if you want uh, a megaphone message, just come on, leave it, and I'll do it. And it's uh, nickdpodcast at gmail.com. So anyway. Uh, do, so far, what are do, do you have like a favorite megaphone message that we've done so far, Esmeralda? Hmm. Oh, there was one, and now I don't remember what it was. It was it was the movie. It was the movie you had just recorded it from a movie. Uh, um, liar, liar? Yeah, I did was enjoy it, that one. Well, that's the uh, quit breaking the law, asshole, that one. Yes. Yeah. That one was good. Yeah, that was a good one. Somebody that was, uh, th- I think it, it, the story was that it was the requ- the person who requested it, their wife's favorite line Yeah. in Liar Liar was, quit breaking the law, asshole. And I also so, enjoyed the pink chicken one. Oh, yeah. Don't eat the, pe- the pink chicken. Make sure the chicken, yeah, I remember yeah. that one. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good... A good uh, thing to to just every now and again remind people. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, anyway, it's wide open for anything you want me to say into the megaphone. It's just fun. And this thing is taken off. And it's Esmeralda's favorite thing now. So we have to do that. Yeah. Okay. You have to do it. (laughs) (laughs) 
So, uh, oh, wait, hold, hold, hold it. Hi, I'm Carrie Russell, and I love Nick's show. Hi, Carrie. How are you? Are you okay? Hi, I'm Carrie Russell, yeah. and I Does love she have her own megaphone out there? She, she does. Yells, she has a, Hi, I'm Carrie Russell. <laughs> that's what she does. When people walk by, they take to, to go to the laundry room or to take the garbage out. Hi, I'm Carrie Russell, and I <laughs> love Nick's show. And then uh, they immediately, uh, they do this. All right. So, anyway. All right, Carrie, thanks. Hi, I'm Carrie Russell, yeah, and I, know. I, I love Nick's show. Yeah! 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 Ah! Okay. okay. <laughs> hey, do you ever see... Clear the air. Esmeralda, have you ever, you know, uh, tried to seek romantic advice from anyone? Did you, do you have friends that you go to or... Tips that you you know in 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 the in the world of of romance in the history of Esmeralda Leon, who did you go to if you needed help or advice? Mm. Anybody? Probably nobody. But it was more. It was more. I would ask them things like I would want reassurance of something. So that's kind of like advice because then they're giving their opinion. Okay. You so know you what mean, I mean like I'd be like, what about this person? And then, you know, and then they like, hmm, no, <laughs> yes. Now, how, now here, now knowing you, Esmeralda, how often did you actually listen to that advice? Oh, I never listened to it. <laughs> but it's always good. It's always good to like know. Right. You know what I mean? You're like, okay, no, I see what you mean. Eh, it's okay. <laughs> that is so the answer I, that is so the answer I expected from you. It so the answer. It's like, oh no, I see, I see why you don't like them. Right. Uh, it's fine. Anyway, all right, whatever. I'm going to sleep with them anyway, so fuck off. Uh, <laughs> I'll see you later. See you later. Uh, he just called. I'll see you later. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, oh, no. now, so, so, like, the people that you would go to to get this, you know, reaffirming or whatever uh, advice mm-hmm. that you would never take. You would would you ever like read something that a celebrity did and go, oh maybe I should try that? Would you ever do that? Maybe if I yeah. like them enough. <laughs> well, I happen to have uh, stumbled upon this what I think is a pretty hilarious thing, an article about romantic moves that only celebrities can pull off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and uh, if any of you know, you 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 looked at this already, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If we if we as regular humans, non-celebrity, just, you know, schmoes walking around, if we tried any of this shit, we'd get punched in the mouth or just laughed at. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. So let me, read, let, let me read the very first one that's mentioned here because this one kills me. This just absolutely kills me, and especially coming from who it comes from. And then I want to hear your favorites of the celebrity romantic uh, moves. All right. Okay. Okay. Michael Douglas used, I want to father your children as a pickup line to Catherine Zeta-Jones. And then it says, it put her off, though, and he had to resort to the -the run-of-the-mill bucket of roses to make up for it. See, now, here's the thing, though. With Catherine Zeta-Jones and Michael Douglas, they're, like, on a level playing field of good lookingness and like personnel like p- people you know what i mean because they're celebrities yeah 
So I could see why that wouldn't work. But I feel like if Michael Douglas had gone to someone else, some regular old lady. <laughs> oh, yeah. And been like, yeah, yeah, hi, yeah. I'm Michael Douglas. <laughs> I want to father you. They'd yeah. be like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, the other thing is, it, it, the other thing about, uh, about that is, and the obvious thing is, you know, Catherine Zeta-Jones is younger than I am. Um, mm-hmm. She's younger than me. And Michael Douglas is like 80 at this point. So like when they for, and, and Michael Douglas had been married like twice and was known as a coxman, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. so like when he seventy eight by the way, yeah, seventy eight, and she's like <laughs> she's twenty. And, and look, it's not that like dating y- younger women is I don't look down upon that. I've done, I've done it myself, but no one that much younger. Because how, how old is she? You can look her up. She is fifty three. Okay, so she's twenty years younger than he is. Yeah. All right, so she's twenty years younger. I guess that's not that bad. But for some reason, I don't know why. It's it's a bit of a. It is. It's a. It is. But it's a little bit of a difference there. It is. But like, I don't know why. To me, it just always felt like Michael Douglas was like fifty years older than her. You know, because he's aging. Also, I bet you you're thinking of his dad too. Like, of course, because they, they kind of morphed. Together. Of course, of course. And and his dad lived to be like a hundred and one. Like Kirk Douglas lived to be like over a hundred. Yeah. But um, as like as Michael Douglas gets older, the more he looks like his dad. Oh my like, god! As he's yeah. old, Absolutely. so it's like you're just. And then so with that, I feel like it just makes you think he's even older than he really is. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but but if I ever went up to a woman, like if I if you and I didn't know each other, and I walked up to you and I was like, "Hey, I want to father your children," you'd throw a drink in my face and kick me in the balls. Of course, right. So only Michael Douglas and Catherine Zeta-Jones could tell a story like that. And then he got her roses. Oh, here's some roses. Right. But then for her, that was just like, eh, no, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Because she doesn't, yeah, because she's at the same level. But, you know, anybody, reg- regular old right. lady, they'd be like, what? Of course. <laughs> yeah. I, I passed menopause, but sure, you can have children with <laughs> yeah. me. We uh, can try. We can try. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Is, are there any? So this is the kind of typical, you know, like celebrity romantic moves. What are what are some of the other ones in here that you found that stood out for you? The 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 Kristen Stewart one kind of it makes me laugh because they're just kind of like they seemed like two grody people because I'm assuming the the quote. So her thing is, according to Kristen Stewart, skipping showers uh, makes the relationship hotter mm-hmm. and she was quoted as saying i love the way he smells so i'm i'm assuming she's talking about um robert pattinson yeah i mean well she's, most likely because i don't yeah. think she had another public relationship well, like that she where she's talking about she, him well she also now that was like one of her few because she's she's gay and um, right uh and it uh, you know i think it it took her a while to go yeah that i am i'm gay and I think it took her a while. As, you know, it happens to a, a lot of people to, like, experiment with, with the opposite sex and then go, no, mm-mm, that's not for me. Yeah. But the only big, you know, like, big relationship. Well, she, she had that relationship with Pattinson and she banged the director of that Snow White movie. Like, she cheated right. on Robert Pattinson and banged the But nobody, like, knew that man. Like, they, they no, weren't out not. and about, like, yeah. yeah, he's great. Like, she yeah. wasn't talking about him. Yeah, but, like, yeah, yeah. Pattinson. So this makes me think she's talking about Pattinson, which is even worse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so she's quoted as saying, I love the way he smells and him me. Like, he loves to lick under my armpits. 
I don't get this obsession with washing the smell off. Oh no, I get the obsession see, with washing the smell off. What are you? What? No. See that 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 because I happen to love Kristen Stewart. Yeah. Um, and I also find her unbelievably sexy, and so that turns me on. If <laughs> she's only... if she's yeah shower for three days, you're absolutely like, yeah, that's cool. Yep. No, thank you. I'm told. I'm no, to- I'm totally fine. <laughs> a filthy. What? A filthy, grimy Kristen Stewart to me is like, yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> Gross. So we Nothing. had the opposite reaction. To that. I found that really sexy. No. Now, coming from somebody else, I might have had an issue with it. You know what I mean? Like it, somebody else said it. You know, I would probably have an issue with it. But Kristen Stewart, for some reason, I'm like, yeah, all right. That's cool. You know, I don't know. Gross. Yeah. I don't know. All right. Take a uh, damn anything, shower. Anything. Take a. <laughs> so that dirty stuff. You don't like it, like a a man coming home from the. Let's see. Let's what? say this guy, no. You know, like the auto. He's an he auto freaks. mechanic. Comes home for, after working on cars, and he's got oil oh. on his, and he's all greasy and ready to go. You don't want that no, tears off. His... Go take a shower because you're <laughs> going to stain my sheets. And clean right because you're going to if you don't have the towel if it comes off on the towels. I swear to God. <laughs> Clean right. That's. <laughs> I'm just saying. Have you ever seen like someone's hand towels and they're dirty? I'm just like, why are they dirty? Yeah. Like, what are you doing? Are you not right. washing your hands properly? Like, what's happening? Yeah. Why is there dirt on the towel? Uh, yeah. It should have been. It should have gone down the drain. Is what basically. What you're exactly. Saying. Yeah. But no, I, I'm a, I'm a, every once in a while, I, no, I don't mind the, uh, the, we haven't showered for a while and everything is a little grimy. I don't mind that. What? <laughs> no, nah, man. No, thank you. Oh, man. I like the smell of clean. You like clean smells? Yes. All right. <laughs> How about Uma Thurman? How about this one? Oh, Lord. Uma Thurman says it's better to have a relationship with someone who cheats than someone who doesn't flush the toilet. Um, sure. Al- although, I guess. when asked about the advice after her husband cheated on her, Thuma acknowledged that her old advice might be ridiculous. Oh, so she still hadn't gotten cheated on. There you yeah, go. Yeah, when she said this was this is pre <laughs> this is pre Ethan Hawke. This is pre Ethan Hawke. Oh Hawk. god. Uh, so that's where I'm just like, and you're cheating on Uma Thurman. Oh my god. Like, damn. I know. I know. It's insane to me. Like, but, but she would rather, but, but again, you know, getting cheated on is, is sucks, but so is not flushing the fucking toilet. I mean, what? I mean, you can teach that though. You can (laughs) teach that out of somebody. I don't know if you can really teach cheating out of somebody. (laughs) No, it's just true. I think that's stuck on them. Like, it's not going away. When I was down uh, on Steve Cochran's show, of which I am a, uh, I'm a regular on every other Friday, uh, mm-hmm. Steve Cochran show, uh, mornings, WLS, uh, AM 890, uh, 530 to 9, and I'm on there every other Friday. And I was talking to him. We were talking about the White Lotus. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was talking about there, there, one of the subplots is that um, there, there's a married couple who are whose sex is not happening any they're, they're kind of not, they their their sex life has gone cold which happens right yeah um and uh he would prefer this character would prefer to jerk off to to porn than have sex with her even though she's like willing and wants to 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and the and it's and she's played by Aubrey Plaza, and I just was like, who the hell would not? <laughs> who, who who would not fuck Aubrey Plaza? You know what I mean? Like, who, and uh, you know, and just like you just said, like somebody cheated, like Ethan Hawke cheated on Uma Thurman. Like, why? What do you, you know? And then, with, by the way, sorry, but like a knockoff looking Uma Thurman. I don't Thurman. even remember who he cheated on her with. Uh, with the nanny. Oh, the oh, that's right. That's it's always the nanny, isn't it? It's always the nanny. Yeah, and they got married. They did, didn't they? Yeah. yeah. Okay, I guess, dude. I guess. I mean, I love Ethan Hawke, <laughs> she, but that's a that's she a looks like move. a knockoff Uma Thurman. Yeah, and when you have Uma Thurman, why do you go for a knockoff Uma Thurman? I don't know. Yeah, exactly. And again, there's more to it. But then, you know, like Steve Cochran said to me, because I was like, I the 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 part of the episode, the the part of the White Lotus that drives me nuts is that this Jagoff will not have sex with Aubrey Plaza. Um, yeah. Who at one point is like, hey, do you want to do terrible things to me and blah, blah, blah. Let's go. Like got all sexy with him. And he's like, no, mm-hmm. not now. I don't want to now. And I'm like, what is wrong with this guy? <laughs> not right now. God. No. And like nobody's being a real. And it's like, it's like, how do you not, you know? Oh, so anyway, I was voicing like, that's insane that anybody you got Aubrey Plaza who wants to have sex with you. And mm-hmm. you're like, now nah, I'm going to jerk off the porn. Like what? Right. <laughs> Um, so, but then Steve said, let me just tell you something. Um, you, a a beautiful, beautiful woman walks into a room and, uh, here's one of the thoughts that should occur to you is that there is a guy out there who is tired of having sex with that person. And that's true. It's true. So anyway, (sighs) but still it's Aubrey Plaza is offering herself to you, dude. What the fuck is wrong with you? So, anyway. I still don't understand. Yeah. Wait a minute. Are they still married? Uma Thurman or the Ethan no. Hawke? Ethan, Ethan Hawke and Hawk this lady. Yeah, I think they are. I think that the, the, he <laughs> oh, did end up. They've got kids and stuff together, too. He's got a bunch of kids with Oh, family. well, yeah. So. Oh, my yeah. God. All right. Yeah. Well, I like uh, I like Ethan Hawke. That's a shitty thing to do, and that, that you know. but I'm, I'm a he's, fan of the Yeah, Ethan he's Hawk. fine. He's great. He's There's great. A, I have a bit of a, not a thing, but it's it's a funny, so my ex- he married this woman who's in theater or whatever. Um, <laughs> she she apparently has a signed photo of Ethan Hawke, and she calls him like she she refers to him like as her friend because I guess she was in some program. Wait, she refers to was, Ethan Hawke as her friend? Yes, because she was like it was like some program that they that he like I don't know ran or something or she was involved and like mentor-esque type of situations but it's it's always a funny like whenever ethan hawk mm-hmm. is on tv or anything we'll be like oh it's her friend ethan it's her friend ethan <laughs> that's hilarious so we always joke about that so anytime yeah. i see ethan hawk i'm like no it's her friend ethan well now you can say that but you can say that about alex winter now sure <laughs> <laughs> Yep, me and Alex Winter are like this. <laughs> yeah, you got the autograph. You got the picture. Uh, there you go. Sure. That's yeah. that's all that constitutes? Okay. You, yeah, you met him. You're all set. Yeah. So, oh, that's hilarious. That is hilarious. Um, all right. Is there anything else uh, in, the, in this celebrity uh, article here about the romance? Oh, well, I mean, I think we all know that he's a moron. Mm-hmm. But uh, Kurt Cameron. Oh, my God. Uh I mean, we all know that he's a he's a dumb dumb. Yeah. Um, but he apparently believes that uh, 
Well, no, I, I do. I do think it's funny that his thing is that women should honor their men and, and be subservient to them, but only if they want to. <laughs> That's what he says. He says that a man should not tell a woman to submit. They should do it on their own. <laughs> Unbelievable. So look at him. Do you do you with a Ferrar for at least you, at least he's like don't tell her to do it she should already she want should already to do know it. she should be conditioned <laughs> she should be conditioned oh to this. god I mean you know consider the source I mean this is like you know uh, Captain you know Captain Jesus uh, who you know yes and there's nothing wrong with that but I'm just saying this guy is like you know end of the world dude have you seen the shit that he's the movies that he's made and the um. I no, haven't. you haven't seen them. No, of course you haven't, because you're not an idiot. <laughs> but I've heard, uh, yeah, yeah, I've heard of them. I did hear that he will not uh, kiss another woman nope. on screen. Nope, nope. He has to have his wife be the yep. stand-in. That's right. That's right. And I was like, well, then why are you even having that in your movies? Right. No, well, that's why he makes his own movies. Where people movies. don't he, kiss. He, he likes to make his movies about uh, the rapture. He likes to make like these movies about the rapture because he's like, oh, Christ is going right. to come. He's he's one of those guys. And but like, I'm also like, why are you even having kissing in it? Just don't exactly. have kissing in it. Well, because women have to be subservient. <laughs> He'll demand a kiss, and they have to know. You know what I mean? They have to oh, acquiesce. Lord. But they, but they, it's yeah. part of. It has to be an instinct. It has to be an instinctual acquiescement. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> Jag off. <laughs> Which I'm actually kind of good because then you know he'll leave. He'll leave the smart ones alone. Right. No, exactly. You know what I mean? <laughs> They'll be like, uh, no. Yeah. And they'll be like, okay, then I guess I'll leave. It's like, I'll yeah, just wait, bye. I'll, wait, I'll wait for a dummy. <laughs> Can you imagine all the, all the teenage girls in the 80s who, who loved him, who had posters of him on his wall? Because he was a huge teen idol. Yeah. Huge. Yeah, quite can you imagine? Job. Can you imagine, like, once this shit started to come out about him, how many women, like, tore up old posters and were like, how the fuck did I like this guy? You don't know, you know right? I mean? Oof. Oh. All right. Although well, they've been married for a long time, apparently. Well, he's not going to divorce. I guess because God will punch him in the mouth, right? right. Like personally, well, good for them. Like, you know, everybody needs to find somebody. I guess. I guess. So then everybody, they're together, and that's everybody, everybody, go away. everybody needs to stay with someone forever because their religion tells them to, even though they're <laughs> even though they're See, miserable. That's but it's that. fine because they're just within themselves. It's like, yeah, go no. go do exactly. That thing You're absolutely right. Yourself. It's the, you, you the, Let the dummies be with the dummies. That's, that's <laughs> there. You go. <laughs> there it is. All right, let's save some of these for the next time as well because we got some Japanese sure. stuff we got to. Yeah. Try. Oh, yeah. So explain what we're going to. I have the translation here, but we've got a couple of items that we are taste testing here. Okay. Well, what I have no, I don't even know what it is. Like, what is that picture? There's too Wh- much happening one? on this thing. Oh, the one well, the with pi- all the things happening on it. All right, it is. It's like it looks like there's a thumbs up. It looks like there's like a bottle with weird. I can't. I can't decipher. There's like, a it's stu- just colors, words, colors. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's it's, it's as insane, sort of like colorful, out of control, in your face Japanese imagery that you can imagine. You know what I mean? Yes, like all on exactly. one page. Exactly. Exactly. And I think it's like a pop rocks thing. But here's what it says. Yeah. Are you ready for what I, I did the translation? And according to okay. the Google Translate, it says, um, Maison, which is actually written mm-hmm. on it, Maison, Maison panic with a bunch of exclamation points. <laughs> and then it says, I'm a no so one say, um, popping candies, refreshing mm-hmm. soda flavored 
Ooh. Ramu Ramoon. Oh, okay. Uh, so it's and the also extra cola flavor. So it's popping candies. Ooh. It the word panic is written in exclamation points and uh, yeah. So that we're going to panic. It's popping candies that are refreshing soda flavored. Uh, Ramoon, as we've mentioned. What's it, how do you pronounce that again? Am I pronouncing it? Right? Uh, I I've, I've been pronouncing it that way. Okay, and then cola. So it, I guess it's yeah. like Pop Rocks, and we're going to panic. <laughs> well, you know, because they're popping in your mouth, and it's right. exciting. So panic. are we ready? We ready to try this very insane, colorful? Yes. All right, I'm excited. Can and I it even is... open it? Oh, okay, good. There's a little. Yeah, they are little little Pop Rock things. Oh boy. They're little. Oh, they're weird. bigger than I was expecting. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, they smell like mm. candy. <laughs> oh, there's Ooh. like weird. Do we chew? Well, one of them you chew, the other one pops. Because one's, oh my goodness. Yeah, one is popping. They look like a little sweet tarts, like tiny Can you hear sweet it? tarts. Mm-hmm. So you got white. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there you go. There it is. Can you hear that? Yeah. <laughs> I haven't had Pop Rocks in forever. Yeah. There it is. All right. Some ASMR. Well, it's like a combination of crunchy candy and pop mm-hmm. rocks. It's like pop rocks, not just pop rocks, but mixed with crunchy candy. Yeah, this is fun. And they're good. They're good. Mm-hmm. They're delicious. They are. They're delicious. Mason Panic. <laughs> <laughs> so we're good on how that. how much fun pop rocks are. These are fun. No question. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Mm. All right. So next is a weird little, looks like a cracker thing. Kind of described. It's with a little a, sandwich cookie. With a little kid smiling. Yeah. Just his little, a little head. A little cute child with a cookie. And it says, uh, uh, the, the, uh, the translation is B- mm-hmm. Bisco, Bisco Tipo. Strawberry. Okay. Bisco okay. Tipo strawberry. So let's Oops. try this. I'm going to be, this is going to be very uh, disappointing because it's not going to blow up in my mouth like the other, <laughs> like the other thing did. Uh, <laughs> well, so these are two, there are two of them in here. Two little, two little. Yeah, so uh, these little... are, um, they're just little strawberry cream sandwiches. Mm-hmm. Okay. Man, these are good too. Mmm. Mm. Oh, I like them. Yeah, me too. Mmm. Mmm, it's like a butter. So it's a shortbread. Yeah. With like a um, a strawberry cream in between, like a sandwich, mm-hmm. shortbread mm-hmm. sandwich with strawberry cream in between, from Glisa Company, and it is a Bisco Tipo strawberry. Um. So apparently, it contains. Um, lactobacillus, you know, the, the stuff they put in yogurt. Uh-huh. So it's supposed to be kind of like easy on your stomach. Oh, good. The even, <laughs> so I, um, uh, eBay, I looked up on, um, eBay, they're selling some, if you would like, mm-hmm. if you'd like some more for $47, but I think it's like a, a giant box. I think it's a big old box. $47. 
But it says it's easy on the stomach, gentle strawberry flavored cream and sandwich between Bisco Biscuits. That's right. Bisco is what it is. Yeah, Bisco Biscuits is what it is. And it is the perfect little biscuit to fill up a small stomach easily as a snack for children or as an overtime meal at work. Well... (laughs) An overtime oh my god! Meal at there's work. still things still popping in my mouth. I know one of them. Po- I know what. While I was while I was actually eating the bisco, all of a sudden it was shit was popping in the back of my throat. Mm, these are so, yummy. There you go. Yeah, very yummy. All right. Actually, mm. I'm telling you, ninety percent of the stuff that we've tried from this batch of Japanese snacks has been good. Mm-hmm. Almost all of them. Mm. So, all right, cool. I want some more bisco biscuits. <laughs> Let's get some more bisco biscuits. Let's order. Hey, mm, we'll delicious. split it. Forty seven dollars. We can split it. Right? Yeah. Good stuff. Mm. All right. So crazy little pop rocks that cause a panic and a mm-hmm. good uh, strawberry cream biscuit. So there it is. All right. Um, hey, listen. Uh, next time uh, we talk, uh, an old friend of mine, an actress and a writer who I directed uh, in a couple of shows years ago named uh, Tara Handron is mm-hmm. going to join me. She's an actress, a writer, and she is a sober counselor. Um, she, mm. um, she got herself sober. Uh, and she's a very inspiring uh, person in that regard, and a terrific actress and a terrific writer. And she did a, a one-woman show about sobriety, and we're going to talk about oh, that nice. more and where you can see it. So she'll be on the next podcast. Uh, and you can be a part of the podcast, too. Leave us a voicemail, 773-417-6948. Email us, nickdpodcast at gmail.com, with your megaphone request as well. And uh, my thanks to uh, Ed and everybody at Radio Misfits, Jason Skaggs, for all the cool stuff. And the lovely Amy Guth. My God, it was wonderful catching up with Amy. Uh, that was so much fun. And Esmeralda, you rule the planet. Oh, thanks. And uh, Zanies, uh, January 17th. Get your tickets now. Uh, Dwayne Kennedy is our special guest, so make sure you check that out on January 17th. Uh, and we will uh, talk to you the next time on the Nick D Podcast, Radio Misfits Podcast Network.